Welcome to Wisco Dice. I am your host, the Conzie with the Most, and I am joined by this illustrious crew of wonderful folks. Hey, it's Brian, also known as Dark Raven Mad here. Hey, everyone, this is Justin, the Meeple's Champion. And I am Matt, the Ghost Walker. And this is Suzanne. And this is episode 89 of the Wiscotize Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is February 9th, 2022. And on today's episode, we are going to cover couples gaming. I think romantic there for everyone. And we'll also <laughs> join into our hobby corner where we catch up with our miniature painting projects that we've been working on. But first, let's dive into what games have we been playing. And we're going to start with a big one. We're going to start with a big, crunchy, Euro-style game by the name of Terra Mystica, one of Konzi's all-time favorite games. We happened to get this to the table fairly recently with all of the expansions thrown in. Note that Terra Mystica is uh, published by Capstone Games. and uh, generally takes somewhere around an hour and a half with the base game. I think this game took us, with a little bit of teach, about three hours to churn through that night. Plays two to five players. Basically, in Terra Mystica, what you're trying to accomplish is you're trying to, as you're playing one of the fantasy races, you're trying to terraform the lands into your preferred terrain type and establish settlements, civilizations, and ultimately score the most points. Uh, there are a number of different actions that you can do on each turn, and the game plays over the course of, I believe, six rounds. Being able I actually got this out for my birthday game day. I love it, and I can't say more about it. Uh, that's Terra Mystica. Anybody got any other thoughts to throw in on it? Uh, I will say this is definitely one of those games that you have to play a few times to really get a feel for how the scoring works. I mean, at least my experience, all the different races seem to have a enough different mechanic to kind of keep it interesting and different thing to learn there. Yeah, I, I appreciated the chance to try some of the new expansion races. I think I played the Yetis, which was really fun. They kind of had this cool way of using power. I think for a lot of what, uh, things they did with power, it was cheaper to purchase things with power, and I could purchase more than one of the actions you could spend power on each, each turn. So that was really cool. I definitely want to play this one again sometime soon while it's fresh in my memory, because like Matt said, you got to <laughs> it. It's it takes some some learning. So. It'd be good to play it again soon. I was just going to say that since this is one of my husband's favorite games, it uh, was a steep learning curve for me to feel like I could actually play and not be just, you know, like laying way behind him. So I did pick up the app for the game so I could try out all the different factions and figure out which one fit my play style the best uh, so that definitely helps me feel more comfortable with the game but it is a great game there's just so much to think about with it every time you play that it is helpful to play it multiple times close together i will say i've played this game uh at least the base game if not with some variants something like 60 or 70 times now and i certainly have not explored all of the different factions you can play to be at a point where i would say i'm able to just pick up certain factions and be able to play them and play them well. Like I've got to, this game has a very good implementation on board game arena. And I think they have at this point, all of the fire and ice content included now that you can, you can add on as, as well as a expansion that lets that like has some extra little, like it was a single board limited promo expansion that they came up with at one point that had some additional like things you could do for dwellings. Um, instead of building a standard dwelling, you could build this other thing that some fact it, it was more, I think it feel like it was more of a game balancer than anything, but um, so it's all on all on board game arena and it, it's a like I said it's a great implementation and I, and I do get a lot of plays on on that particular platform. but it's a game that I oftentimes feel like I have a hard time getting to the table because I have so many plays. I don't want to when I'm hosting game night, I don't want people to 
feel like they didn't have a chance to in you know win a game or or really enjoy the game because it is a, a more a more complex game with so many options and like i think brian you said you when you if, because you play different factions you kind of halfway figure out what you should have done about halfway through the game and then you're sitting there going ah well i'm i'm gonna lose this game now by 10 or 15 points because i didn't do those things at the beginning and that definitely factors into my as a host wanting to get it to the table, but deep down I, I need to overcome that and just get it to the table more so that uh, all of you guys can try to figure out a way how to beat me. <laughs> hey, I tied you and I'll take that as a win. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're you're the fully experienced, you've played it 60 times. So hey, if I can tie you, I'll take that as a win for me. I don't know if I played any game 60 times. That's impressive. Man. I mean, there's, that's counting board game arena plays, but yeah, I think over the years I've played Terra Mystica a lot. <laughs> All right. So the next game up, the next up is Lost Ruins of Arnak Expedition Leader. So this is the expansion to the base game of Lost Ruins of Arnak. This is by Check Games Edition. It takes about an hour and a half to play for two to four players. I know Ben and I have played the expansion. I think the rest of you have all played at least the base game at some point. I know Matt yeah. has because I screwed up the I rules have. and I taught when I was playing it with you. <laughs> so uh, we talked about the base game in our review and how to play it in episode 81. So if you want to hear about that, I suggest you check out episode 81. Links to it is going to be in the show notes. What is great and different with the expansion is that every player is a different character who has unique abilities and a unique set of starting cards. So where in the base game, everyone sort of feels like you have the same goals and everyone might be competing for the same resources, have the same tactics to move up the expedition track not so with the expansion with the expansion maybe your character is more focused on getting artifacts or tools or uh, exploring so it really kind of helps everyone have a different focus the uh, exploration track is also different there's two new sides for that which mix up mixes up the game also so you have to on your toes a little bit when you are playing this if you haven't played it a hundred thousand times like ben will have in the next month i'm sure so (laughs) i really feel this (laughs) this expansion is worth it it added a lot to a game that i was growing to enjoy but it definitely kicked it up a notch that way with it so does anyone else have any thoughts that's played this or I wasn't even aware there was an expansion yet. I know there's two sides to the board, the original board. And I don't know if everybody necessarily realizes that when they buy the original game, because there is another way to play on the backside. But fascinating. I may have to look into that one, because we did purchase Lost Ruins Varnock in our household, because my wife enjoyed it so much. So I'll have to look at the expansion. Yep, main board has the bird temple and the snake temple on the opposite side. And then... Uh, this just has an overlay over the uh, research track that gives you two new research tracks that you can play on either on either the bird temple or the snake temple sides. Very nice. So definitely gives you a lot more ability to change up the game, but really the expedition leaders, which Suzanne and I actually had a chance to uh, play a demo game of it with the expedition leaders at Gen Con as well. That so much changes up the dynamic setup of the game and like gives everybody i think i feel like it gives you if you're a new player to the game it gives you kind of a little focus because you you just your your leader will tend to kind of push you in a general direction it's a gentle push there's nothing that makes you i think a cup the one the the one that's very good at acquiring coins and buying item cards uh, wherever tool cards, uh, that one, and then the the one that buys, uh, that's the researcher that that goes after the artifact cards. Those two are maybe the the hardest pushes, but the other ones, and there's six of them, so you have a lot of variability that way as well. 
just give you such a different element of asymmetric play and all of their starting cards because they have four unique starting cards. Just enough different than getting, hey, I have a hand of two compasses and two coins. It's like, oh, I have this, and like it starts out, I get a compass, but then like if I've played two artifact cards, it gives me something more awesome. So now I'm like, oh, hey, I wanted I, which card in my hand do I want to use for a move for movement tokens? Oh, none of them. Prod. How am I going to get my uh, <laughs> how am I going to get my architects uh, on the board? Or yes. archaeologists, sorry, not architects. <laughs> that brings up a good point. My the hardest thing for me with the expedition leaders is remembering to use my archaeologists and picking a card to use for movement because I want to keep all the fun cards. Once I get rid of those fear cards in my hand, I just want to keep all the fun cards and do other things with them. So if you play against me, just know I probably will forget to use my uh, archaeologists. That sounds like a fun way to change it up. I mean, so I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Yep. Probably a little harder to get right this moment because... Uh, Lost Ruins of Arnok was super hot to begin with, and so um, and took a while for it to be able to be found on retail shelves fairly regularly because it would just sell out so quickly. And I think Expedition Leaders might have done that already as well uh, on its first printing. But uh, CG does a great job of doing reprints, especially on their hot hot commodity games. And I would expect to see this back on shelves uh, and within the next few months be actually available at most regular game stores to, to be able to purchase. And with that, make sure you check out wiscodice.com for all the links to the games we've discussed today. On to our hobby corner, where we talk about our miniature hobby projects that we've been working on. Very fairly recently, I actually, I had owned this American, uh, American fleet for Cruel Seas. I bought the American fleet starter box. Uh, Cruel Seas is a, it's a World War II miniature game from Warlord Games that uh, focuses on torpedo boats um, and that aspect of small boat actions where you might where you'd have like torpedo boats, but they'd be generally souped up, maybe five to five to seven person. You know, I think top end crews of like twenty people boats that were typically used for like shore patrols or helping to you know help these boats would be maybe able to get a little bit lower uh closer to shore to help with landings in world war ii and that kind of those types of engagements not necessarily in the the bigger fleet engagements where you're talking about aircraft carriers and destroyers but really these tiny boats which were uh sometimes the uh, uh you know, unheard of heroes of of World War II. Um, when we think about American shores, necessarily, uh, and the the U boats. Well, guess what? There were torpedo boats used to help with that, and uh, the Germans had some excellent uh, craft as well that kind of fit in this category. But anyways, I have a fleet, or I bought the fleet box for the Americans, and I actually finally, after I think it sat on the shelf for. Uh, probably a year plus, two years, yeah, almost two years. <laughs> I finally built the built the fleet, and it should be a relatively easy paint once uh, I get settled in the new house and am able to uh, paint it because it'll be pre- predominantly all gray. <laughs> so it'll be an easy paint to to do that way. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about that project and just to be able to finally get it done and at least set them on a shelf so that they can look pretty somewhere. Uh, and maybe someday when we get back to doing some historical game days, I can find some people to play play my uh, Cruel Seas uh, American fleet against. That's what I was working on. I've seen those in person. Like, about how big are the ships? Was it one... Th- I think they're one 350th scale, so they're fairly small. Like, uh... I don't know, maybe a couple inches long or, or somewhere in there, two, two and a half inches are okay. generally speaking what the size of the boats are. And they're big enough that you could actually have like a like a person standing on the boats, like maybe manning a gun or something. And okay. that's like maybe a quarter, like they're just a hair over a quarter inch 
maybe tall. Yeah, I don't remember if I've seen that one. They have the other game with like the sail ships too, don't they? Yes, yeah, Black Seas. Black Seas, yeah. And I don't really quite remember how big those were, but I assume it's kind of similar size to that. Yeah, the the ships are similar in size, but uh, the scale is actually, I think, slightly larger scale. Like the size of the actual miniature scaling is slightly larger uh, Mm -hmm. than Black Seas is because of the nature of the type of ships. Makes Not sense. that I know a lot about the types of ships we were playing with in Black uh, Black Sails, but... Cool, well, getting into my hobby work, I feel like I've actually been pretty busy with hobby between now and the last episode. We had been playing quite a bit of Batman lately, and I had prepared a few minis before winter to get them primed before our cold weather here in Wisconsin, and I was kind of on a kick to paint some of them. I had did Deadshot recently. I think I had pretty much finished that at the time of our last casting. So then right after that, I was still pretty motivated and knocked out Damian Wayne pretty quick. Um, kind of excited to get him on the table, but I haven't figured out actually how to work him into my crew. Like Ben and I, we had talked about it last. We played a bit. I think I could swap him out with Heretic, but then I still had some extra space in there. So I haven't quite figured that out yet. So he's done about like 95% or so, kind of similar to Deadshot. Like I didn't, I'm doing kind of a black line ish look and there's still some extra like shadows and stuff I could add, but I seem to be kind of lazy in doing that and put it off until the end. Um, and then I was still going on that. I started Raish El Ghul, but then I just, it was going okay, but I don't know. I just started feeling something else. I moved on to my vampire count skeletons for the old Warhammer army. And for some reason I felt really motivated to get into them. I had, again, prepared a lot of stuff before winter, and we're almost near and coming out of winter now, so hopefully I'll get some of my um, painting backlog done. I was pretty stoked. I had painted kind of a test model just to make sure I knew what I was doing, and it came out really cool, and I busted out the next four right away. I think those next four, I was a little discouraged. I highlighted them up a little too much for my taste, I think, but... Not enough that I care to redo them or anything. I think they'll blend in the unit fine, but I've actually started another group of five and skeletons. It's, I don't know, pretty ridiculous how easy it is to paint up a skeleton with some dry brushing and make them look really good. So they should be a really quick paint and it's pretty motivating to crank them out so quick after. It was kind of a slog to get through the zombies for me and I wasn't as happy with them. So I've been pretty pumped for my VC project again. That sounds cool. like. Any word on that secret hobby project of yours? Someday. <laughs> that, that will not be named. I, I just assumed that he just lost interest in Raish because it wasn't the right model. I mean, it was missing the bath towel. <laughs> oh, and... the right nice, I has 40 mil and everything. But... <laughs> He's got the bath towel and the hot tub. I mean, you've got that huh. all prepped. Someday, just to... When I'm that bored, I'll appease you guys <laughs> since I have the expiration. <laughs> so I uh, started another miniature for our D&D campaign. I wanted to have a, a mini for Koth, my half-orc paladin, that was more representative of kind of the gear and look Koth has um, currently kind of in the world where really he's just got kind of leftover gear and things that he's picked up from, you know, being out on his own after, you know, he basically was a gladiatorial slave for a good portion of his younger life. And so it's not like he has this bright shining armor, which is kind of the model that I currently have. He's got this full plate and it's all shiny and gold and, and stuff like that. So, so this model is, uh, one of the Pathfinder Battles Deep Cuts Half-Orc Barbarians. So start with a Barbarian, um, uh, which has like a big furry cloak and um, just some sort of, you know, simple leather and uh, kind of like slightly metallic, like maybe iron-type boots or something like that. Uh, but then I also customized it because um, Koth... Uh, right now carries a warhammer as his uh, main weapon and a shield, and so I um, I 
borrowed some bits from some other Pathfinder minis, some dwarves. So I was able to um, replace the Barbarian's double-headed axe with a Warhammer, and I uh, glued a um, shield onto his other arm. So it was my first attempt at like a, a custom miniature. And it went pretty well. Uh, I did have some issues gluing things together and getting them to stay, and I think it's probably still very fragile. I don't know. I'm sure that at some point I'll pick it up from the hammer and it'll just snap off, but we'll see. I do need to finish painting the hammer, do some basing and things like that, but I'm 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 real happy with how it turned out. It's much more kind of cold north themed uh, look to to the mini, so. Um, I think it'll fit in better with what other people kind of have for their characters' styles right now in the campaign in general. So, yeah, you brought them out for the last session, didn't you? Yep. Yeah, I had I had them there. Um, yeah, got uh, got to tweak a couple things and maybe get his face painted a little nicer too. I kind of did a sloppy job on that, but <laughs> yeah, I I didn't get a good look at him. I heard you talking about him, but I didn't get a good look at him. That was a little yeah. further away from where the miniatures sit than than when we play at our normal location. So, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll make sure to get a picture up here, a nice high quality picture, so you can see where he, where he's at right now, and then one when he's finished up. Well, welcome to the world of miniature conversions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If if you're probably... <laughs> if you find yourself struggling with figuring out how to get your hammer to stay stuck on or how to how to keep your your chopped up bits from other models to stick on uh brian is an excellent source of miniature conversion expertise yeah i i probably should have looked up a little bit how to do that or reached out to brian and said like will this work i did have some issues but uh i was impatient i just wanted to try something and see if it would work so so far so good See. I would yeah. I would also point out that Matt's project from back in the day was also another exceptional conversion project, but uh Yeah, that thing was a beast. What's that? What was that? So I did a back in the day, you know, and most of the people hated me for it, but I made <laughs> a dwarf slayer army. Well, anybody who's ever played dwarf slayers knows there's really only a handful of models so there was a lot of work doing conversions swapping weapons which is very straightforward but i did a very chaos themed thing so i was buying bits off of everybody from chaos armies and i had this smashed up chaos chariot embedded in units and i had a like a giant that i converted to be a chaos giant and <laughs> like a, a whole bunch of chaos themed things where i would take a big chaos miniature and embed them in a unit and make it look like they were all fighting each other and it, it was a labor of love that thing took me i think <laughs> over six months to finish all the conversions and the painting but it was really cool to see when it was done that sounds awesome if you, if you got any pictures of it you should throw, throw them up on the blog yeah i probably have some at a minimum i know i took some when i sold off the pieces but <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to see it. Be cool. Yeah, Brian's got some great Vampire Counts uh, blog articles on conversions, too, um, already up. So you can take a look at those already today, and we'll link those in the show description. Nice. All right, and that takes us through all of our hobby projects. Uh, so we'll go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we'll get into our main topic. Hey folks, this is the Cones of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin, where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick and mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. And we're back. And on today's episode, we're going to cover our top three favorite games to play as a couple. 
of course, with Valentine's Day coming up here very soon, we wanted to focus in a little bit on, you know, the types of games that you might want to get out, uh, not necessarily for a romantic evening. I wouldn't say all of these games fit that, but at least at least in the romantic theme category, but certainly in the, hey, you're doing something special with your special someone and you uh, wanted an evening uh, where you maybe didn't want to go out on the town because you're worried about that pandemic or... You know, eating out is expensive these days. So, you know, dinner and a movie is, I don't know, uh, even if you fast food it, it's still probably a $50 evening. If not, if you go to a nice sit down restaurant, you're probably burning $100. Who's got that kind of cash laying around? Better to save that cash and sit down with your significant other with a board game. So we went through our top three list, each of us, uh, of board games that we think uh, fit play a game with uh, either our significant others or we think would be ide- our ideal date night, game night kind of games, and we wanted to share those. So we're going to do this in a little bit different format than we've done these kind of things before. We're actually going to do it in a list format, and we're going to start from our third rank to game all the way down to our first rank game, which is our most ideal game that we think would work best for date night. Game number three. And I'll kick that off with Pandemic from Z-Man Games and designer Matt Leacock. Uh, Pandemic, uh, perfect for our current COVID-19 situation. A world where there's multiple diseases are trying to take over the world and you are working from the CDC to create cures and, and try to eradicate these diseases from the earth. And you're playing as a team. So you're working together, you get to communicate, you get to talk you talk to each other and share thoughts and ideas on how you can overcome it. And I think, you know, something that's nothing better than this classic game of cooperative play. And, and I think back to one of the very first games that Suzanne and I played together, and it was Pandemic. And it was one that she actually had owned before she met me. So I, it feels it feels kind of special in that date night romantic kind of feel as well for that. So that's why it made my top three. Brian, what do you got? Uh, I really base this on the games I actually own and I've actually played two person and specifically with my special lady friend. I don't have quite as vast of a collection as you guys have. We do have a fair number of two player games. So there was actually a handful. I know I didn't want to mention because even though we own them, like we don't really play them that much. So I kept my list to the ones that we actually get to the table pretty often. Um, and then with that in mind, like I was thinking, I like was looking at all these other ideas and just realized how many games that I do like that can actually be played to people, but I've never actually had that opportunity. And it seems like a good chance. Like if I have all these ideas to expand my collection with games, I know I like that can be played to players. So I just kind of had a big list of mentions, like possibly tiny towns, Agricola, um, Cartographers. I keep. I should just get Cartographers because I know I really like that game and I've only played it one time. Otherwise, some bigger ones like Cardinals Project, Dinosaur Island, um, Era, um, Splendor. I think I've played that two-player before, but only like one time and not actually owning it myself. And then a really big mention. You can hear a whole episode of my talk and gushing and love and description of Star Wars Rebellion. That was in our episode 77. We covered going over that. Like, as far as two player games go, like, that's one of my all time favorites. It's specifically really good with just the two players. And I guess if you have somebody who really likes Star Wars, you can play <laughs> all the time. It's a pretty big lot game, but um, that's a really awesome game. So. Not anything specific for my number three, but lots of ideas, and I was really interested to hear what games you guys were picking. And speaking of that, Matt, how about you? What's your number three game? So my number three game, and there were a lot of... I'd say making it to just three was a really hard decision. But Century Gollum Edition uh, at the table fairly regularly for us, so it's one we both enjoy. and It's a pretty quick play. It, it doesn't take very long to get through a game. Sometimes we'll play a couple in one sitting. And, and just as a quick mention, a couple of honorable mentions that uh, my wife and I were discussing, but I just didn't quite throw on 
didn't quite make the cut when we only have three. Um, you know, if you're looking for a really quick, super quick game, Trash Pandas is always kind of a lot of fun just to even play two player. And Quacks of Quedlinburg is um, also a really fun one that just didn't quite make my cut. Since you mentioned it, my number three happens to be Quacks of Quedlinburg. I was very close to also putting Pandemic, but uh, I went with Quacks. Uh, this is a game from Schmidt Spiel, um, and it is a press-your-luck bag-building game where you draw ingredients from a bag on your turn to try to brew the best potion you can um, without it exploding in your face. Quacks is fun. It's lighthearted. While I might normally think of couples games, like I might go for uh, cooperative games most of the time, this one is a competitive game, but I think it's not competitive to the point where you're going to feel crushed if you lose because it's just fun, lighthearted, and pretty quick to play. There's a fair bit of luck in the game, so really part of the fun of the game is just seeing how far your luck will take you and really, you know, pressing your luck. There's also two expansions out for it now, so you can kind of tweak it to your preferences as a gamer. If you want it a little more heavy, a little more strategy, you can pick up one of these other expansions. Um, Herb Witches and Alchemists is out now, and I think uh, Quax is uh, best for couples who want to play something quick and fun, a, a, a quick, fun, and sometimes explosive game. All right, and my number three, I am going to skip for the moment because it is the same as the number two for a couple of our other hosts. Number two. All right, so my for my number two game, again, I picked another cooperative game. I feel like this one, though, hones in on trying to... Uh, be able to think a bit like the way your partner is thinking with Codenames Duet uh, from CGE and the famed designer Flottle Chivatel. Uh So just like in the popular Codenames uh, game where you play with a larger group, uh, Codenames Duet, though, you're a t- it's a two-player version, so you're both are going to take turns at being spy masters, giving each other clues. You you both have a grid that's in front of you uh, that uh, one of you you're you know you're you're able to know what the pattern of on the the grid is for yourself and your opponent or your the other player has a grid that matches up and corresponds with yours, and uh, you're giving clues to uh, hopefully allow your the other player when you give them a clue to be able to pick the right words that are uh match your clue and and goes back and forth and if you can manage to solve it then you've definitely uh found a way to be in tune with your special partner and this is a game that I, Suzanne have we ever even won this game together I th- I feel like maybe we have a win in our dozens of plays of it but uh I still enjoy playing it I have at least a couple wins we play Good. when we first got it until we got a win. We were playing yeah. it multiple times a day until we could win. I was going to say, it seems like you prefer the games where you guys get to smash, try to smash each other instead of <laughs> working together. <laughs> you know, that's the secret to a lasting relationship, right? <laughs> you have uh, games you can beat up each other on and it's peaceful the rest of the time. No, you know, there's say, the... Ben's picking all these games where you work together. I mean, <laughs> you haven't seen the rest of my list yet. <laughs> mm. There's, you know, Star Wars. It's let the Wookiee win. Well, at home, it's <laughs> let the wife win. Oh. <laughs> really all right, Brian. Let's hear about your what you got on this list. All right. So yeah, as Suzanne alluded to, and I guess it'll come up for Matt as well. Um, my second pick uh, is Azul. Um, guess that's published by next move it's can actually be played two to four players i've i think i've played it at both extremes um maybe with the third third three people at one time um the idea of this is you're like making a tile mosaic um and you know you're trying to make it the best and most beautiful or whatever as far as the scoring kind of fits with that uh the pieces are really cool like the actual tile pieces are pretty nice. Like, I don't know what, exactly what they're made out of, but you know, they're not little cardboard chips. They're nice little tiles. And then you're just trying to arrange them on your board from the supply. That's always kind of constantly changing. You only have so many to choose from that are actually like available in like 
whatever the market at a given time. And you're competing against your opponents to pick the tiles you want and be able to fit them onto your mosaic in the best possible way to get the most scoring out of that. Um, and kind of as you guys alluded to, like, I feel like it's a light enough where your partner doesn't have to be like super hardcore gamer. It's a little competitive, but you're not going to be like pissed at each other after it. I don't think um, we talked about it a little before the show. I was interested to hear what you guys thought about it because I saw something on, I think it was on board game geek saying that like two was the ideal number of players for it. But I felt like I kind of liked it at the higher player count. Yeah, I, my wife and I pull this out periodically, and actually my kids like to play it a lot too. Um, it does play just fine at two, though I feel like the game, like you said, is more interesting at four, but it plays just fine at two from our perspective. And it also made number two on my list, so um, obviously it's something that hits the table fairly frequently in my household. You guys both went with Azul for number two, huh? Yep. Nice. This is not one I've I've played enough to really have a comment on. So if anybody else has feelings about it, so I will say it was my number three because it's not attacky and it's not cooperative. I mean, you can play it attacky as a two player, then you do kind of feel a little bad because your partner, your opponent, I guess in that case, can feel a little hurt. So. Nothing says love like dropping eight tiles on somebody that they can't use. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, Justin, what do you have for your number two game, then? My number two is two games, or types of games. So I picked the the Exit uh, series of games and the Unlock games. Uh, both similar kinds of games. They're, they're cooperative, escape-the-room type games. Um, and they're a little bit different in how they work. Exit, The Exit series of games is mostly card-based, but also uses other components that can get a end up getting permanently altered, like ripped up or written on. Um, while the unlock games are 100% card-based and also use an app to help drive the game for doing stuff like entering codes into like a, a, a padlock on a door or something like that, or playing sound clips and things like that. But nothing, you don't destroy anything in the game. They're replayable um, or resellable if you um, are done playing them. Um, both of these are are a series of games as well, so you can kind of pick and choose the one that fits the mood that you're going for. Um, you know, I I tend to like the kind of the spookier ones. It's like a the secret castle or the abandoned cabin or something like that. Um, and they're also pretty inexpensive. Usually go for between ten or fifteen dollars. So, you know, you can pick up a bottle of wine to go with. Um, <laughs> I I really I picked this because I. I really like the experience of working together with your partner to uncover mysteries and solve puzzles. Uh, and uh, I think these are great games for couples who enjoy escape rooms and puzzle solving together. Susie, Any yeah, then for re what? replayability? Like, Say it again? I was just curious for replaying them. Is there actually like different things that happen or you figure out each time? Uh I would say once you've played through uh, one of them, they're not replayable by you again because you'll know what to do. Um, Unless you forgot I, about my, it. I guess my point is that <laughs> like, you don't destroy anything with the unlock games, so you, they could be replayed by somebody else. But you know, if you beat the thing, uh, unless you did really bad and didn't get very far, generally you're not going to be able to replay them a second time. It's a, then... it's a, a single experience <laughs> with kind of puzzles and i know in like the actual escape rooms and stuff you know you have somebody kind of hosting you to kind of nudge you if you get stuck is there any mechanic for that in the app or sure, anything yeah. like that? Uh, in an exit there are hint cards that you can draw if you get stuck and in unlock you can actually get hints from the app so you'll put in like the number on a card uh, to get a hint on that card not all cards provide hints but some of the like more complex puzzles or what they call machines in that game, you can put in a little number in the app and get a hint for what to do. And they kind of get more revealing if you take like more hints. So like the first hint will be something a little obscure and then they'll give you a little more information. Um, so you can definitely get hints uh, in there too. One nice thing about the unlock app too is 
has some little ambient music that you can set the mood and and kind of have some spooky music or whatever going on while you're playing. So that's that's a nice thing too in there. Does it start coming down any or anything when you run out of time? <laughs> yeah, it's got a it's like an hour countdown timer for most of them. So uh, it doesn't like uh, beep or do anything crazy, but you'll see it starting to get turned red <laughs> when you run start running out of time. Yeah, interesting. Ryan, you should check it out. There's a Star Wars unlock yeah. as well. That oh yeah, uh, it's three. There's three different missions in it, so it's oh, cool. really cool that way too. Never that one's good. I will say the unlock I feel are a little bit more accessible if you have someone you're playing with that is not super into the puzzles, because <laughs> you can <laughs> look at the pictures. And read the bits information and kind of just deduce it from what you're seeing. For the exit, you have to manipulate items quite a bit. And they're, some of the puzzles are a little bit more abstract. Yeah. So, right. it, yeah. Some but, of the exit ones require more leaps of logic, maybe, I think, too. That you have to, like, what what are they trying to tell me here? And Yeah, for sure. Right. The exit ones are also fun to play by yourself if you have a Valentine's Day by yourself. There you go. I say for you, Suzanne, this is this is the this is the solo game. Yes, <laughs> I, I Not prefer the couple's exit game. as a solo game versus unlock. But yes. What, but... So what I'm hearing is is get together with several other couples. Each of you buy one of them, and then just start passing them around, and then you've gotten ten yes. to fifteen dollars, and just trade them around and go, yeah. enjoy them so most of our it's unlock long. games we've bought used for that reason yep. yep yeah i would say you can do that with the unlock games the exit games you will damage some components of it and yep. so it's a one and done but again they're not that much so anyways unlock and exit uh that was my number two what do you got so suzanne so my number two is quite a bit different than everyone else's. My number two is Pendulum by Stonemaier Games. You can play this solo all the way up to five players, and it takes 60 to 90 minutes to play. It's described on the website as a competitive, turnless, asymmetric, worker placement, time optimization game. Doesn't that sound like a lot of fun? Sounds romantic, yeah. <laughs> So you, it's real time. You're racing against the clock. There's a bunch of little timers. And once one player has placed their pawns and flips timers when they run out, the other player has to react and you both are going at the same time. So I find that it can get a bit silly because you don't have time to plan. So you may do something and then find out you don't have time to take the actions you thought in the order you thought because all these different timers are going at different speeds. So for me, it's just, I laugh a lot during it. <laughs> I laugh at Ben a lot when we play it. And it's also very competitive. So it is a, it's a fun, active game to play with your partner. I don't think we've ever played it with more than the two of us. And I've definitely never played this one solo. So <laughs> is my number two game it is a really well into implemented real-time worker placement game that's what i gotta say about it it's it's i don't know that it's for everyone and certainly people that suffer from analysis paralysis this game will break you but uh, if if you want to yes brian you're in trouble with this one well, or it may help you get over it. Got to let go. Some yeah. Version therapy. Yeah. 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 yeah because Stop because it's real time. It's real time in the nature that there are a bunch of timers on the board. But when those timers get flipped is really up to the players. Like, so once the timer runs out, you can flip it, but. If you're not ready for it to be flipped, you might not go flip it because maybe you're waiting for another timer somewhere else to run out so that you can flip that one. Well, everybody may want to, somebody, one of your opponents may flip the timer and then you're like, 
crap, now I got to do this. And so it's very interesting in that regard. It's worth Are checking out and playing. playing simultaneously then? Or yeah. Is it, so it's not Everyone's playing simultaneous. It's real time. Everyone's playing all at the same time. Hmm. Sounds crazy. That sounds fun. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Actually well executed. Game number one. And with game number one, I am going to select my second or third co-op on this list with Chronicles of Crime from Lucky Duck Games and designer David Stickerell. I hopefully didn't butcher that last name too much. Chronicles of Crime is one of the these games of murder solving or crime solving the base game you're working as a detective effectively in the london police office going to locations and different missions to try to solve various murders that have happened there are other expansions of this game that add thematic uh things like uh we started doing the one that's more like uh playing as kids and you have to run around and solve these various crimes uh before you get home and or before it gets before you get past curfew otherwise you get in trouble with your parents which can impact your success capability for that for those scenarios it's it's a really cool game and it's it's that borderline we talked about like I'm not myself I'm not great about puzzles but and certainly like some of these crime games I'm not great uh, I'm not necessarily like it gets a little too puzzly I I tend to get stuck but I love the the all of the aspects of this game, like being able to see, look at visually inspect crime scenes with the goggles and and look at you know you're looking at it through your phone and and doing this like three dimensional thing. And I'll stand up and like walk or, you know spin around the room looking at these you know, these really cool rooms where there's uh, you know crime crime stuff around and then trying to like okay so you know we saw this and we saw this and this person told us this, so maybe that, that means we should go to this location. Some of that is, as long as you're connecting the dots, I really enjoy that that bit of it. And Suzanne does a great job of helping fill in a lot of the dots that I don't that I don't get. And eventually, I think about uh, probably after an hour or so of play, I, we're we're getting to the point where uh, I don't know exactly where to go or what to do. Well, then then it becomes a solo game for Suzanne, and I kind of watch her do things. <laughs> But it's a great game. I, I think it's a great game, and, and it's a game that gets us talking and communicating. And I think it's a great game for that when you're looking for a couples game night. That sounds and when like we fun. Get to that point, someone has to man the cell phone. That's your all you, because I'll hit the wrong buttons and cost us time on the cell phone portion of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a two-player game. That is, it is a lot of fun to play with uh, some other with. Uh, Either one other person or even another couple, it's a good game to play. Is this is this the one that you one time or a similar one that you pulled out when you came over to our place? It is. It's that game. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we actually solved the murder that time too. I believe we did, just barely, but we did make it. Uh, sounds pretty interesting. I guess jump into my number one game. It is Lost Cities, the card game. I actually didn't realize it, but apparently there's kind of a series of these games. There's like a board game version and a few other variants. Uh, they're published by Cosmos. Um, Lost Cities is actually a specifically two-player game. Uh, it's card-based. There's kind of a little game board that kind of helps you arrange things. The idea is that you're like researchers, explorers. You're trying to complete these expeditions to, I think there's five different areas. And so you have like your hand of cards, they're all sequential numbered specifically for each area. And there's only one copy of each card and you're trying to, you know, get the most rewarding uh, expedition going. So there's the points kind of are like your cost and like reward for the expedition. So any expedition you start, you end up at like negative 20 points, I think it is. And then as you play cards, you're getting positive points but the number actually on the card is how many points you get. So you have to be able to play a certain amount of them. So you kind of have to weigh what you have in your hand versus what your opponent might give up or what luckily might come up out of the draw pile. And then 
like if you have a good longer expedition of like eight cards or more, you get a bonus at 20 points that kind of offsets your cost right away to help your scoring. And then also there's wager cards in the game. They're specific for each like area as well. So they're actually like a multiplier. So you're like wagering like, oh, I'm going to have a really good expedition here and kind of maximize your score that way. So again, it's kind of lighter player interaction, a little bit of strategy. It is actually a full game is played over like three rounds. So if you have a bad round, I'm kind of figuring it out and stuff. it's easy to kind of make up. And I think most of our games end up pretty close and it's light enough for somebody who's not super hard into board games to play. Like the theme isn't super ingrained is maybe like the only negative thing I have about it. It's like kind of a loose theme to the actual gameplay when it's mostly just a card game. But that is one we actually own. It was gifted to us, but we do see it to the table quite a bit. So that's how it made my number one game. And I usually kind of have quite a bit of fun playing it for how simple it is. Sounds cool. All right. So in my household, you know, I, I put a number one out there, which was probably one of the first, I'd say, games that my wife and I owned as a couple together. So that's uh, Ticket to Ride. Uh, it comes in so many different flavors. It's published by Days of Wonder. Um, it does support like two to five players, and it really depends on which version you're playing. Like they have them from all over the world. But the idea is you're basically a you're running a, a train company and you're trying to build train lines and connect all these lines across different areas. So you get basically routes where you're trying to connect two cities and uh, you score points based on your ability to connect those cities. And you also score points for basically how long those routes you build are. Uh, so there's a lot of different rules and different versions, but it's one of those ones that's just kind of a classic. A lot of people have played it from what I, you know, it's kind of like Settlers of Catan. You kind of either love it or you hate it. But uh, it hits the table pretty frequently in our household. And it's just one of the ones that's, uh, you know, my wife and I have enjoyed uh, playing for quite a few for years. So um, you can definitely play, be competitive, you know, if you if you really want to nail people to the table, you can choose to play very aggressively or you can just play it play it for fun and uh take your lumps when somebody buys that route you really really wanted yeah i think i've only played that a few times with like quite a number of people the only comment i could say about it is like some people really have it figured out and will just like totally cream you <laughs> if like they got it down and aren't taking it easy like in my experience that was kind of the main thing um like it didn't take the enjoyment out of like playing your own game a little bit but just how good some people seem to be at that game was pretty amazing it's it's definitely it. not a deep crunchy euro it's you know the strategies are pretty straightforward once you've played it a few times mm -hmm. but if you know figure if you're playing it with your with your significant other it's gonna be something you might hit the table more frequently so they might have the upper hand for a few games, but I bet you'll be able to figure it out pretty quick. So how about you, Justin? What was your number one game for couples? So my number one couples game is Mages of Madness Second Edition from Fantasy Flight Games. This is definitely more of a gamer game. So I'll put that caveat at the top. But like for me, playing this game gives you like the same kind of feeling as watching a horror movie together with your partner, which is something that Anne and I really like to do. But it's a cooperative sort of horror experience, uh, or I should say mostly cooperative. Most of the most of the game you're going to be working together with your partner, trying to solve the mystery and surviving whatever horrors the game throws at you. To me, it's just like it, it's like sitting and watching a horror movie and it's cooperative and it tells a good story and it sets this cool mood with the app. You know, we've talked about this game plenty before. And I've just had a lot of fun playing it recently uh, with Anna, with two players. And um, I think it is a great couples game, specifically for gamer couples who are ready to fight horrible monsters and share in a terrifying tale. And probably lose. And yeah, <laughs> be ready to lose. Yeah, be ready to lose a lot. <laughs> definitely. I think the second edition is what added the app 
wasn't it in second edition? Yes. I think I played a first edition yeah. one where somebody actually had to like play as the game and the monsters and stuff against the other players. So yeah, that's cool. Make sure you're playing second edition as the couple because you, you're going <laughs> to need the app to do that. Good point. Yeah, the second edition is much better with the app from my perspective. Oh, so I do have a cooperative game. I don't always need to be combative against my husband. <laughs> so my number one game is spirit island this is published by greater than games you can play it solo or up to four players and it takes about an hour and a half to two hours to play in this game you are trying to save the earth from the invaders and the invaders are humans that are exploring and taking over lands that you as the spirits are trying to keep pristine and in balance. So there is an element of battling against these invaders, which is awesome. Each spirit has different strengths. And the trick we found is that you need to balance your spirit strengths with your partner's spirit strengths. So you could have a well-rounded, sometimes it can be offensive, some defensive. And you have to definitely work together to battle, to win this game. <laughs> Another really great thing with Spirit Island is there are so many different ways to vary the game. Different portions and modules you can add in or take out. And you don't lose anything from the game. It just increases or decreases the complexity depending on what you feel you can handle at the time. If your brain is all stretched thin and it's been a long work week, you may not want to put all the modules in because your brain will just explode trying to figure out how to defeat <laughs> the invaders. Uh, but then other times when you want to sit there and think through all the different possibilities, just add, all, add everything in. So this is my top game to play as a couple. It is very cooperative. There are lots of battles in it. Yeah, I love I love this game for the fact that it's and I think it's well documented that there is a certain settlers of something game that I'm not a fan of and this is like the anti version of that game like die pesky settlers and I'm going to destroy your towns and the hell with your cities you're all dying. And so I enjoy that part of it. And then it's, there's no luck component. They remove the luck. It's all, well, I mean, there's some duck card draws, but um, like you get to pick the cards that you want to play or use to that enable your spirit's powers and win those trigger, which is quite a contrast from uh, the game that it's kind of poking a finger at. Had not thought of this one for the couples games, but yes, I I, th I do totally agree with you. It's a great couples game. Out of all the ones you guys have mentioned, this seems like the most cooperative coordination you have to do to be successful at this game. Like you really have to work together to do well in this game. Yeah, I feel I feel like though that's. I mean, I've not played this game. It sounds fascinating to me, but I feel like that's a little bit of how Pandemic is, though, too. Sure. For, for anybody who's never played Pandemic, I mean, if you're not... I mean, you can absolutely randomize your characters, but there's a lot of times in Pandemic that you need to synergize because that game is hard and brutal anyways, so the game board will try to brutalize you, and if if you're synergized, you have a better chance than you know, two characters that just flat out don't work well together. So I feel like Pandemic shares that with this game, where it's better if you can synergize a little bit. Hmm. I would say the most recent expansion to this game literally, I think, doubled the number of spirits available from the base game. So hmm. you throw that on top of it, it is full of choice as you expand the game. And one thing that this is different than Pandemic is you aren't supposed to completely plan out all your moves with the rest of the players. You're supposed, you could say general things like, hey, I'm going to be more offensive or take care of these areas, but you, you're not supposed to plan out, I'm going to play this card and what card of yours is going to work with it. So... There is that, hey, having to pay attention to 
what my partner's spirit can actually do definitely stretches your brains a little bit too so. as long as those pesky settlers get defeated then we're all good and with that, I think that rounds out our list of our top games that each of us feel like are great for couples game nights. So make sure you set next time you settle in with a bottle of wine and uh, uh, any one of these great titles that you give us a shout out and let us know. We really want to hear that. And of course, we close in on Valentine's Day, whether you're in or or gonna have an evening out uh we wish you the best and lots of happiness and and enjoy your holiday thank you so much for listening make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts oh and by the way give us a like on our facebook page and don't forget to follow us on twitter instagram or pinterest while you're at it if you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at whiskodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Whiskodice.com. That's right. It's whiskodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out. <laughs>